Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Marin? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi, you're listening to Recover Girl. It's a podcast all about addiction and recovery. I am your host, Anna David. You can find out more about this podcast by going to recovergirlpod.com. And um, and I'm just going to get right into our guest because this is this is just two gal pals chatting. Pretty much. This is Mary Patterson Broom. Hi. She's a comedian. She's the editor-in-chief of <laughs> rehabreviews.com slash magazine. She writes for Women's Health. Correct. She's been on, she's worked on a show on WeTV. Yep. She, uh, I always forget the James Franco. It was uh, nominated for an Emmy. I'm just going to say that. Making Wait. a scene with James Franco on AOL.com. That's amazing. It was nominated for an Emmy for production, not doesn't matter. writing, but I still say Emmy nominated. Emmy nominated. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I thought you were saying Sex Box was nominated for an Emmy. No. And I almost Sex lost Box my mind. was cut after four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't even hear all the episodes of Sex yeah, Box. Yeah. Um, so may, so MP, as as she's known, um, she and I met when she started working for After Party magazine. Um, it all happened very organically. Yep. In fact, what happened is so Danielle Stewart, who's, who's gotten me every job I've ever had in this town, <laughs> who moved away. I'm sure you've been seeing her, but it's like Yeah, but I mean she's coming back and forth some. I so know. I, I don't like to think of it that she moved away. I feel like she's at college and she's gonna be coming home for it's summers kind of and holidays. Tr- it's kind of true and yet kind of not. So Danielle was literally my right hand at after party. And she had to do everything. And at one point, I tasked her with having to do like thousands of rehab reviews. And she, she's like, well, I just asked some of my friends to do them is what happened. And I'm like, she shows it to me. And I go, this one's really good. Then <laughs> and it she, was mine? Yes. <laughs> then she secretly gets you in as quote unquote Sarah. Oh, that's right. Before I was comfortable writing about getting sober, I went under a pseudonym yeah. to talk about. Wait, I did that as talking to a newcomer correct that was the sarah thing (laughs) or was it how i got sober no it was that it was danielle was pitched me a story she goes why don't i do a thing where i interview a friend who's getting sober at 45 days at 60 days and at 90 days and so that was quote unquote sarah so so i got to know your story and then one day i forget she just sort of brings you in i we needed more writers and she goes well let's not forget you wanted my parking but i didn't know if that was the first meeting that was the first meeting. Hilarious. To talk about the parking pass, because <laughs> I had a coveted parking pass on El Cerrito Place by WeWork. And <gasps> it was that. And then talking about, was it talking about doing the admin freelance? This I is riveting information, <laughs> this background story. But so, so all I know is that we were sitting in my little office and suddenly you were coming in every day. And, yes. then, and then suddenly you were running the show. And now you <laughs> literally run the show. And Thank I'm you. Gone. I owe so much to Anna David. I can't even. Are you thanking me every day, though, on it's the day? It's a pretty sweet gig. Okay, like, right I'm now. actually yes, good, happy. Good, good. I'm I mean, so glad. 
I don't necessarily know that I'll always want to deal with this particular content. Yes. But I like the work and the nature of the work, the mix of writing and editing, and I get to use my my creative side and my organized side. Um, I was trying to do stand-up comedy full-time when I met Anna, and I needed extra money because I was not making enough money doing that. And it slowly started to build getting the money from After Party and Rehab Reviews. So it's kind of turned into that's more full-time and stand-up's more part-time. Right. Which I'm fine with. That's And that used that kind of thing used to, like, devastate me. I was so dramatic about it. But, right. like, you know, you don't know. Life doesn't always turn out the way you picture it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely. And, you know, my favorite quote that I'm obsessed with now is this David Hawkins quote, we get what we want when we stop insisting on it. Oh, that's good. Which is really another way of saying surrender. So it's like when you start paying you know the universe doesn't know the need but the, don't know the difference between a sort of fear and a desire yeah so when we really want these especially these creative dreams we put all this fear onto it and i truly believe it keeps those dreams from becoming a reality whereas then when we focus on okay here i am doing my rehab reviews then like mm-hmm. you know then this other stuff starts popping up i believe well i also think that when i look back at when i, I was working at an agency for comedians seeing all these headlining comedians travel and do stand-up and get paid. And I wanted so desperately for that to be me already. And I, I quit that place and was like, I'm, you know, I got a bunch of road gigs because I had all these contacts. And I was like, that's it. I'm a full-time comic. But I didn't really, and this was classic, like, untreated alcoholism mm-hmm. because I had um, such instant gratification issues. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even research, like, what's your budget? How much money do you need to bring in a month? Like, are right. you going to be able to, what if you don't book anything after the next two months, you right, know? Right, right, And so I think that I've learned, I'm really glad that I did that, that I took the leap of faith and pursued it full time because I sort of learned how important it is for me to have my bills paid in order to be sane. Yep. So as much as I admire people that can do a bunch of different jobs in order to pursue their art, I am more comfortable with sort of a direct deposit every other week situation and i learned that through all that i had to learn that you know yeah yeah and i'm still obviously able to do the creative things i want to do but i sleep at night because i know my rent's paid yeah yeah and i mean what's interesting to me too about your story is it's kind of like we were just talking about paul who you know worked at after party and a previous podcast guest who um we what was the connection to paul oh yeah 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 how how really uh you know, he had not done this kind of writing and suddenly this is this is something he's doing. This was new. I mean, you'd always been a writer. Correct. But I, you very much encouraged the writing because remember when I wrote that first news story and you were like, this is this is good. And then I started like cranking those out right. and I got comfortable doing the essays. And right. Yeah, it was a confidence boost. I'm glad that I learned that I could do that. Yeah, and that, and that, um, and I'm not just like blowing smoke because you're sitting on my couch, um, <laughs> but but the fact that I mean, you were the ideal employee because you could write, you could write fast, and you're completely obsessive about all administrative stuff, and that's all really someone could want at a publication. <laughs> it's true, you know. I that's where I feel like people pleasing comes in. Good, you yeah. are a good employee. Like I'll oh, say yeah. that about myself. Like I I struggle with negative self talk a lot, but I know I'm a good employee yeah. and a good worker, and I will always stand by that. Like, do you remember that thank you note your mother wrote me? I'm so sweet. Uh, for what? I mean, okay. she loves a thank you note. She loves a thank you note. She loves a thank you note. To the point that she was thanking me for a thank you note. She was either <laughs> thanking me for my thank you note or she was thanking me for co- for coming to brunch. My sister and I have a song we made up called Thank You for the Thank You Note based on my mother and her friends with their back and forth thank you noting. So she thanked you for coming to brunch and for hiring me? 
what she did is I think that we went to brunch. I think I wrote her a thank you note and I think she wrote me a response and I just never forget <laughs> that she wrote and thank you for under for appreciating Mary Patterson's work ethic. Oh yeah. Nobody so works sweet. harder. Yes. And I'm glad you see that. You know, my mom told me she was proud of me when I was home last week. Oh. And it 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 really helped because I've always been fearful that she's not because yeah. I'm not married and don't have a husband and like children and right. I know that's important to her. And it's and that's something I want anyways, but you know, um, I've always there's always been this fear I have that that she didn't think I I turned out well, mm. and she went on about how proud she was and how I was brave and and talented and went Aww. for everything. And she goes, I just want you to be happy. And she's like, my my concern is always that you're not as happy as I'd like you to be. And I'm like, that is so satisfying just to hear that. Yeah. Why is it so? Why does it feel so good to have your parents tell you they're proud of you? Does everybody get obsessed with that? I. I don't know. I mean, let's call it possibly an alcoholic thing where, you know, that seeking validation and that, you know, that negative self-talk of I'm never enough, I'm never enough. And, you know, I what I'm kind of thinking a lot about lately is this thing that Dr. Drew told me about the dandelion and orchid theory, which is that some people are dandelions and they are they grow up very resilient and you can say whatever you want to them and nothing's going to upset them and then there are these orchids and so what may not register as trauma to a dandelion does to an orchid because like I, i'm just going to speak for myself like this super sensitive creature so you know one day mom being or dad being disappointed in a grade registered as like traumatic to mm -hmm, me and mm -hmm. and began this talk of like oh you're stupid you're stupid right, whereas right. like a dandelion would have been like yeah whatever dad i'll get the yeah, next one that's that's really good i you know and i think my parents always say like you were just ambitious you're the one that wanted to go to a good college and i'm like yeah but achieving has always felt like, oddly enough, I compared myself more to my father than my mother. And he right. was always about achieving. Yeah. And even when I would get, like, a really good gig. And I love my dad. I have a great dad. I'm not dogging him. But, like, as recently as I remember, I one of the best gigs I've ever done was opening for Maria Bamford. Yeah. In a sold-out theater in Birmingham, Alabama, which is not my hometown, but my home state. And it went so well. And it was one of the best shows I've ever had. And I called my dad afterwards. And I'm like, it went great. And his first question was, well, what did the headliner think? Right. Do you think you'll work with her again? It's always right. like, what's next? What's next? And I'm like, no wonder. I, I never feel know. like I'm enough. Like, I love him. Right. But like, you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. And it's like, I wonder if it's, you know, having kids. Hold on. Water break. I should have clarified my water break earlier. How dare you? I thought you were a pro. Um, <laughs> You know, that thing where I wonder if it's sort of like the, not codependence, but, you know, a child's desire is so, a parent's desire is so tied in with the child's that they sort of ask the question that like, that we ask to, yeah. which is rather than taking a lot of, you know, I'm sure other parents are different, rather than taking the pause and going, oh my God, that is so great for you. Right, right. <laughs> um, I remember my first book, Party Girl, this this really great book. I read it. Highly recommend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there was, there's this writer named, not Jennifer Weiner. Yeah, no, no, her. not her. This Jane other Green? Jane no, Green? No, 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 no. Jennifer, I'm blinking on her name. She's super successful of the Jennifer Weiner <laughs> category, and I can't believe it because she's a friend of mine. She is up there. She's she's like close to there. She's and, a Jennifer. That's her first name. Yeah, and I'm just completely blanking, and I'm embarrassed. Him, but anyway, she was a fan of mine. We had a mutual friend, and she really loved Party Girl, and she really championed it. And she was a she's a very big writer. She's the one. Oh God, um, is it the one about New Black? Like she's in yes! Chicago, yeah, exactly, and she goes bankrupt or loses. Who is that? The Jenna, dot com. What exactly. Is she's I got about ten books. She's yes. she's amazing. 
So she was a big champion of mine to the point that when she was asked to sort of headline the Chicago Literary Festival, she had me open for her or whatever, whatever the equivalent is. And my dad's college roommate lives in Chicago and came to it. And all my dad told me about it was like, so I heard you were just there as like a warm up. Oh, my God. Like, here I was appearing at oh the Chicago God. like Literary <laughs> Festival. It was like a highlight. And and she was so cool that she was championing me throughout her whole thing. I'm like, oh. Shulkin. No, that's not her. No, that was my editor. I, I, I'm just, she's a, like an amazing woman. I cannot believe it. Ugh. Anyway, it's killing me. But anyway. We don't have our phones out. Otherwise, we Google it. But we're uh, trying to be in the moment. We are in the moment. Look so, at us. No phones. So, and so this idea that you uh, found, quote, your voice as a writer in recovery, and this was this was unplanned. This was because you were looking for a day job, really. Yeah. I mean, I still, because remember, I was really scared to write about it at yep, first. I do. And I think it's because of where I'm from. There's just a lot of, um, it's still kind of Southern old school. Like you don't talk about your business. And I think, you know, in some ways I haven't been a, comp- I don't reveal every freaking detail that happened when I was still drinking that led me to quit drinking. But I, I've tried to be open in a way that's comfortable with me. and. It does. I feel like it does pour out of me. I don't know if it's because I love talking about myself <laughs> or like what, but um, yeah, it has become something that's e- it, that comes out of me easily. Like yeah, you know, you recently had me do something for your new your new project about sober dating. And yeah, I, I cranked it out so easily. It's so good. Yeah, and so I think when when the writing comes easy like that, it feels like it's right. Yeah, I was I was just thinking of the sober. It's funny because the sober dating. I I do remember. Uh, your sort of struggle to, I don't know if I want to write about this. I'm not comfortable as... And by the way, I still have moments where I'm like, shit, what have I put on the internet? You know? And I freak out. And I go, you know what, Mary Patterson, you have to accept that's who you are. Yeah. And you're a creative person and people appreciate vulnerability and honesty with artists. And like, if you don't want to do it anymore, then stop doing it. Yeah. And like, what's there is there. But I definitely still have freak out moments about it. But go ahead. I do too. Okay, you do? do? Okay, okay. That makes me feel better because I feel like you're so brave forward with it, like open and... But here, and here is something that I I do tell people um, that I coach with writing is... I didn't think about it at all, and there are things I regret putting out. There's, I'm so much more careful now yeah. about what I will and won't reveal, right, and what right. is mine, and what is the world. Exactly, and um, and that's something that I think it's important to get really clear on before you mm-hmm. start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting too because so we do this storytelling show called Hammer Time. It's every other month in L.A., and the last one was Facebook Live. Duh, if, you, mm-hmm. if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Um. And I talked about things in that, you know, and I, I specifically said the word fuck mm-hmm. over and over again, which I don't. Mm-hmm. And I just thought of it as staying in the room. And then a lot of people saw it and I felt a little uncomfortable yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember I told him before, don't record me because I was going to be naming names. Oh, I didn't know that. But then I did, did you I don't change remember, it? Um, no, I just said to Ryan, I said, please don't. don't Were you not? Do you're, mine. you're not in it? I don't think so. Oh, no. I mean, because okay. I was specifically talking about an incident with, you know, friends of my parents and oh, I didn't yeah. want them to be. I just like on the off chance because I'm friends with their daughter on Facebook. Right, right, like, right. You just never know. I just didn't want them to hear, you know, like sometimes that room feels like that's the kind of stuff. There's been a few stories I've shared in there yeah. that I would not share in an article Absolutely. online that's going to be out there for forever. Yeah, that's I sorry. That story was so freaking funny but oh, i do remember you. that there is a very specific family sorry sorry listener that you can't know what it is <laughs> so i'm curious about that about that transition from discomfort to okay i'm gonna write about it and do you get 
healing slash comfort from sharing those stories? You know, honestly, I feel like at the beginning it was just for the money. Yeah. And that's all I was thinking about. I was basically prostituting you. When I first started writing, I just needed money so yeah. badly. I was You're so like $50 broke. a story. In 2015, it was bad. Or 2014, 2015, whenever I was just not doing well financially at all. So I thought more about the money. Um, you know, is it healing? I guess when it's complete and I'm like done, sent off, like any creative project, it does feel healing. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, I have so much resistance with writing um, that I look at it sometimes more as a burden. But I've just accepted the fact that I never feel like doing anything. Right. And I've, that's my new motto with, with stand-up, with writing, anything creative that involves me using brain power and being uncomfortable, as you would say, I, I, I don't feel like doing it. Right. And so it's hard for me to say that it's healing because I feel like there's people out there that blog every day and they just right. love doing it. And it's healing to them. For me, I'm like, like— I know I have an article to write and I think about it and I obsess about it and I like, well, I'm like, why did I take this, you know? And then when I actually do it and like face my resistance and my discomfort and it's done, I feel amazing. But that doesn't last that long. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things where like I want to be doing the creative work because I know it pushes me beyond, you know, sort of what my job entails now, which is kind of mindless in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But I still have so much resistance around it. I mean, I've got, you know a web series that's been written for a year mm -hmm. that I can't bring myself to make because of all the fears I have around it and the discomfort with having to figure out the things that are unknown. You mean in terms of like basic, like in terms of like, out? I got, I got to find a DP. I got to find somebody to edit it. Like, how am I going to schedule these locations? All those things, which are just part of the creative process. When you make something like that, I let those things sort of keep me in a position of fear, at least with writing. It's like, all I got to do is sit down and do it. Right. Um, but I still have a lot of resistance around it and a lot of fear and a lot of like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. Like I can't. And then I sit down and I do it and it's always done. So, but even with stand up shows, like I, I, me and a few of my friends always joke, like we dread every show we book. Yeah. But I'm always glad I did it. Yeah. And I've just accepted, like when I say to myself, oh, I don't feel like doing this show. I'm like, yep, you're never going to feel like it. Right. You're never going to feel like it. Right. Because right, I always right. want to be comfortable and doing stand up is uncomfortable. That's Sorry, that went on a tangent. No, from that's the a question perfect about tangent. But what's interesting writing. to me is I know many people. No, I would say I, I have two people in my life who I know very well who are extremely resistant to putting themselves out there. And I watch the struggle. Mm -hmm. um, and you put stuff out constantly. Again, I'm in a situation where I have to, oh, Jesus Christ, I just spilled water on myself, where I see what you're putting out because a lot of the time it's, it's stuff I've assigned to you. Right, right. So it's surprising to me to hear that that's your struggle. Right. Because you do it. The people that I'm thinking of, they don't do it. Yeah. yeah. They literally do the work and don't put it out there. Well, sometimes with my stand-up, especially because my, I just always end up writing about myself in my life because I find with observational comedy now, there's so many people doing it. It's like, it's so hard to be unique. Right. But sometimes I feel like I get off stage and I'm like, you just bared your soul. Like you should have said that in therapy. And like, right. and if I got laughs and I'm just, but so I still struggle with that balance of like, I think it makes you a unique comic when you get up there and people know a little bit more about who you are as a person when you get off stage. Yeah. But in some ways it's really scary when you're up there talking about how you eat your feelings because you had to quit drinking or, you know, right. Uh, the latest guy broke up with you and he had a room, like stuff like that, you know, like it's all just that artist life of being vulnerable. So I, 
I appreciate you feeling you saying that you think I put myself out there because I constantly feel like I don't enough and that's why I'm not more successful or whatever. Do you, I, I will tell you, <clears throat> there's no right or wrong answer, truly. Like with our show, it is the one performance thing that I don't dread. I, I did for the first year or two. And now I'm at the point where I'm shocked the day of the show. I'm super excited about yeah. it. Then I'm super happy. I'm very conscious when on stage that I'm really enjoying myself. Yeah. And then I finish and I'm like, God, I did well. I know. It's so funny with that show. I I don't dread that show, but I do have fear every single time that it's not going to go well and it's going to be dead silence. I don't have that with stand-up because for the most part I've done, I haven't had, luckily I started with stand-up not bombing a lot. So I've always had like a fault sense of like, it's going to be fine. I mean, I could always bomb and but I definitely never bombed. bombed at our show. Well, that's, but, but it's a different, it's a different art form. So I just still feel like it feels new. Right. But I do feel like I've gotten more comfortable with it, but I am always fearful that it's not going to go well. But that seems to work for me because it it goes it, well. It goes so maybe well I should just keep time. having that fear every well, time. That goes also <laughs> back to every story that you turn in and go, "This is the worst thing I've ever written." <laughs> it's always, always like, my, "I love it." It's always my favorite. It's so weird how that always happens. Always every time I fire it off, and I'm like, <sighs> I mean, hopefully she'll find a nice way to tell me this is garbage. But you know, it's going to be a rewrite. But I just can't look at it anymore. <laughs> and and then you're you, always like, "I love it. It's the best thing you've ever written." But, and also, you know how honest I am. Oh, that I know. I you're honest. Not yeah. just saying that. No, I know you're not just like, saying it's that. Because yeah. I have no problem being like, you know what, this is no, 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 no. I know you, you don't. Write this. I know you don't. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. So, which leads me to believe, especially given what you're saying about the resistance and that, that, that and then this isn't uh, unusual for an alcoholic, your perception of it is just completely 180 degrees warped, off. I have a warped perception of a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. But especially around around this yes around this being the the writing uh, being the, the writing mm -hmm. um you know it's it's interesting to me so and, and also here is my theory too that this is healing this kind of thing this kind of writing about you know your you know our things we should be most ashamed of or whatever is healing in ways that we don't it doesn't directly you don't write it put it out there and be like i'm, I'm healed, healed. Well, you know, another thing that I should point out is when I first started to feel like I wanted to quit drinking and I, I, real, I started to have that, that voice deep inside that was like, you're not really doing this normally or this is causing pain, more pain than good. I started to read blogs. Yeah. I was one of those. Um, before I ever stepped foot into a meeting or told a friend I was struggling, I, um, I started to read about it. Yeah. I read Stephanie Wilder uh, Taylor's blog, yep. Crying Out Now, and I listened to the Bubble Hour podcast. But reading about it, I've always been a reader, and so it really helped me. Right. And I think, in a way, I do feel good. Um, I had someone reach out to me from my past. I might have told you this already, but your listeners can hear on Facebook, who I hadn't even seen or thought about since college. And she said, your articles have helped me so much. I wow. decided to be sober this January. Like, you know, I really appreciate it. And I'm like, okay, well, I helped one person in the same way that somebody helped me. So, like, have you really only heard from one person in terms of, like, Recovery this helped stuff? me with there are yeah i mean okay. that i can think of off the top of my now, head but let me ask you something else all those blog posts you wrote how many people did you email to say god this really helped me very good question i commented when stephanie wilder taylor recently posted her sobriety date on facebook i commented and said reading your stuff helped me right and then the woman who wrote understanding the high functioning alcoholic oh, yes sarah benton yes yeah, i reached out to her right 
Well, and then you wrote about her for I wrote after about party. Her. So right. I guess, was that why I reached out to her? I think so, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I was getting paid to reach out to her. Yeah. But either way, you're right. I, you're right. There could be people out there that, oh, I forgot. I thought of one more guy. Yeah. I thought of another comedian who I ran into at a show and he told me he hadn't drank and he said he read my thing about the fitness challenge I did. Oh, yeah, Or the yeah. one I wrote about how I look better now than I did in my 20s because oh, yeah, I'm yeah, sober. Yeah. And he was like, that was so good. It really helped me. Okay, that's the second person. Well, and so, two people, and, yes. but no, and so that's my point is for every person who actually bothers to reach out, how many hundreds of people are there out there that are reading it? And yes, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I know that to be true. I, I can't imagine the number of things I have read that have helped me. And I personally, selfishly don't think I've ever reached out to any of them. Right. Right. Ever. No, that's a good way to, I hadn't thought about that. I also kind of, I, you know. I feel like I haven't been as strong with promoting the stuff I've written about recovery. Right. I'm like, I'm going to put it out there, but I'm not going to like really push for it. Right. Because that's that still that fear of like, yeah, what are people going to think? What are people going to assume? You know, all that stuff. So I still have a little bit of that, which I've already said. So it's not like, you know, that's news. But um, but I have the same thing. Yeah. Because it's sort of like I, I have this fear that people are like, Jesus Christ, this girl and talking about her recovery enough already. <laughs> like, we get it. You're sober. You're into it. And, and but you made a career out of it. Well, so, I, and I mean, people who become, you know, like friends will be like, God, I thought you were way more into this than you actually are. Because of, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, yeah, of course I'm into it, but right. it's hardly my whole life and thing I talk about in my free time. Right, right. Um, but I, but, um, what was I going to say? Well, I was going to say, okay, yeah, this in, in the coaching. Pro so I have this coaching program for writers where um, I take 10 people at a time through the process of sort of this is how you write essays. This is how you get them published. This is how you sort of create an online persona. And ultimately, this is how you write a book proposal and sell it. And then one out of every 10 gets a meeting with a uh, lit agent and publisher. Mm -hmm. Um Perhaps unsurprisingly, five of the 10 people in my current program are sober people writing memoirs about uh, their addiction. Right, right. And I would say three, I, now I can't exactly remember, three out of those five started going, I'm going to write under a pseudonym. Uh, I'm not comfortable writing about this. I'm not comfortable writing about that. And all of them ended up changing their mind. Really? Yeah. And they're all doing it. Well, you know what? Uh, I Can I can I talk about our... our um the coaching sessions we're going to do at Breathe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot to tell you. That's no, no. It's first of all, it's at Casa Capri. Oh, Casa Capri. Okay. And it's totally final. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we're doing that. We're yeah, doing we're doing that. that. Yeah, so yeah, Anna yeah. and I are going to go help people write their stories yeah. that are in treatment currently, correct? Exactly. And then perform them. So Anna sent me the the per pitch for, you know, what we're going to, what's, what's the course is going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing like a four, you're doing it four well, times. I start on Saturday. Twice. This okay. will be late. But and yeah. in that, you said, you basically broke down a little bit of what you teach, which yeah. is the importance of being specific in writing. Yeah. And people aren't specific because they're afraid to put yeah. what's really out there. Yeah. And I was like, God, she's so right. Yeah. How did you come up with that? When did you realize that? Now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> well, here's the thing is, you know how I feel about cliches, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that, that I go crazy when I see them. And I don't think anybody wants to use cliches. I think they use them because they're being lazy or fearful. Mm -hmm. I and, think that's true. And they think it sounds good. Like they come up with this turn of phrase and they're like, that's exactly how I feel. And boy, this sounds good. When actually what sounds good is their specific story. Yes. And, you know, my favorite thing that anyone will ever say to me about something I've written, I think you said it to me. I, I'm not sure is I felt like I was hanging out with you. Mm hmm. 
And so that's the greatest compliment yes. I can get. And so uh, you get that compliment because you're being specific about your story. Yes. Yes. So true. And and it's really good writing advice. Well, and it's like, yeah. And if you, you know, think of our storytelling show, the things that make us laugh are these very specific yes. things. And and so, you know, I'll always tell people my story is not particularly interesting. I do not have an interesting addiction story. And yet I have made it into material that I've been paid for for the past over a decade. Right, right. So clearly it doesn't have to do with how interesting your story is. It has right. to do with how, how you, you tell present it. it and tell it. Yeah. And like, you're going to be the best person at telling your story. So forget being like, I'm not as good a writer as this person or as that person yeah. because you're the best person at being you. Right, right. So I don't know. So I think that's how I realized that specific mattered. And just also years of editing people's essays Mm -hmm. is the people that I use again and again are the people Mm -hmm. that are specific. Yeah. Very true. So, yeah. And I do think it's fear. I think that people have so much fear around writing. Oh, we're all just dripping in fear. Well, we have so fear about everything. (laughs) Oh, my God. Just dripping in it. It's so true. No, I mean, I feel like I've gotten better. But God, I look back at my life and I'm like, God, you've had so much fear about stuff. of it, And I didn't even know that's what it was. I I mean. I'm not, you know, whatever. It's like I'm 33. It's like, why would I have known, you know, like when I was 25 that I was encapsulated by fear. But, you know, now I can look back and see so many of my, so much of my issues were fear around so many things. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, does your, my fear, I, I don't feel like ever manifests itself as fear because I'm like, I can go on live TV. I can jump out of an airplane, but I'm terrified of my feelings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, if I wake up and I don't feel completely right, I will go into a fear spiral about it's never going to end. Yeah, I I feel like that's gotten better for me. Yeah, me too. But I absolutely, yes, used to used to have that same thing where I felt like if I felt bad, I'm going to feel bad forever and I'm fucked. You know what and I'm saying? And that's fear. That's exactly. So what advice would you give people for, a, for getting out of their own fear? I would I would say don't expect yourself to not have it. Yeah. So acknowledge that it's there. And it's really helped me to sort of label the voice that that talks the fear to me that says things like, you know, you're always going to you're never going to make more money than this. Uh, you're never going to meet a life partner, stuff like that. And say on good days, I try to label that and go, OK, negative, Nancy, like, thank you for your input. I'm doing the best I can. Right. And so I just try to for me, it's been accepting that the fear is not going to go away. It's how you respond to it. Right. And and what you believe to be true versus what your thoughts are telling you is true right so you know knowing you are not your mind and you are not your thoughts and just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true and this is all stuff that's been given to me so i'm not you know reinventing the wheel here but that's this stuff has just been profound for me to learn over the past few years that whatever i create in my mind is not necessarily reality it's not reality (laughs) yeah most of the time it's not and and i can be in a great mood one day, have the exact same circumstances the next day and feel like everything is shit. Yeah. And I'm fucked and all that. And it's like, wow, that's like, just acknowledging that has helped me and been like, you know, knowing that I'm not always going to feel that way because just yesterday I felt great. Yeah. You know? I know. Do you, and and I mean, that the way that will contribute to addiction and relapse, I, I mean, people who... You know, especially people with long-term sobriety or whatever, who who think that the way they feel is how they're always going to feel, and so they go out or whatever it right. is. Right. Um. Now, now, just about your story. How long are you sober? I can't remember. Um. It's been. It was three years, March thirtieth. Okay. So, and was there three years and a few months? Was there an actual quote-unquote thing 
that got you sober? Uh, I always say that my things, plural, happened over the course of 2013. There was multiple instances where I can look back and remember. I remember feeling at the time like, I'm, I got to stop drinking or I'm not going to, I know I can't keep drinking or I'm going to take this to my grave. And so all of those collectively, I mean, there was one event in particular that I always, that I, I don't want to share on the podcast mm. because I'd like to keep that for me. Yeah, yeah. That happened um, in 2013 that I consider like my worst bottom. And I always think back to that. And that was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to take it to my grave. And then I kept, my grave kept getting heavier and heavier. Right. And so, you know, I think it was just, I'd say if I had to pinpoint one thing that I feel comfortable sharing. So 2013, there was just a lot of times um, where I overdrank when I said I wasn't going to and I behaved in ways I wouldn't have behaved or things happened that I would never have happened sober that that create a lot of shame for me. And then Thanksgiving of 2013 is when I um, got really drunk at a, a friend's parents' house on the actual day and my one of my best friends drove me home and two days later we spoke and he said, you know, I, I feel like sometimes lately when you drink, a switch goes off and you become somebody different. He wasn't even rude about it. He wasn't like, we've all been talking about it. He was very nonchalant and casual. And he was like, and I was like, oh, no, I know. I didn't mean to be the only one there that was incoherent drunk. And he said, why don't you just try having one or two? And I just burst into tears because I was like, I've tried that. Mm. Like multiple times I've tried that. And the fact that like that's the suggestion being made to me. And I know I've already tried that a thousand times. It was like such an epiphany of like, okay, you you can't seem to do this in moderation. So And then it I was mean, about that, six months so, later. So that was a turning point. And I stopped drinking after Thanksgiving. And you know my whole cruise ship story. And I had yeah. 72 days. And then I went on the cruise ship. Yeah, yeah. And started drinking again on the yeah. cruise ship. So that's when I started going to meetings and started like admitting like maybe I can't do this at all. And then for Anna's listeners, I had a stand-up comedy gig on a cruise ship for a month. Mm-hmm. It was 14 shows a week. They weren't going well. Uh, they didn't They didn't like me, like the corporate people. Uh, they'd seen my tape, but they still didn't like me. Um, and I was so stressed out. And it was really, I, I got, and I didn't really have a lot of, quote, recovery in me at the time. I had dabbled in meetings, but hadn't really done any real work or gotten a sponsor or anything like that. And I was so miserable. And I remember thinking, I wrote in a journal. I have a journal of all this. Um, you know, there's no way that the way I feel now, it could be worse if I drank. I, I got to escape this feeling. So I've got to drink. Right. And um, mm. almost immediately, all the reasons why I'd quit resurfaced. The anxiety, the waking up, not knowing how I... Um, not how got, you got home because you were on a back ship. Back to my uh, cabin yeah. in the cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, all that being really sick with hangovers and just having a lot of anxiety. And uh, so that was another turning point, I think. Sort of having 72 days without it, then going back and immediately having issues again. So it sort of proved to me like, oh, I just, I can't really do this in moderation. So I probably can't do it ever. So it was after I got back from that, I I drank for a few more weeks and nothing really dramatic happened in that period. But um, the last time I drank was ended with a really, really bad hangover. And I was in Atlanta trying to visit friends and manage a hangover. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I'm sick all the time. And that and I came back and I've been sober ever since then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you what do you think was different that time? I don't, I, I really, I don't know. I feel like this is where the God yeah. spiritual thing comes in. Uh, I really don't know. I remember I was in Atlanta in my friend's apartment and I woke up. It was like the second day of feeling hungover. And I was just like, I got on my hands and knees and I was like, God, please help me. I'm so sick of being sick all the time. And 
I don't know. I mean, you know, like, believe what you want to believe about all that stuff, but I don't know why it was different. Mm-hmm. I really don't. But in, in terms of the spiritual component, you uh, grew up pre- kind of religious. Mm-hmm. And let's just say, so you grew up in Alabama. We hinted at that. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and we're real, you were real religious for a while. I was real into it. I yeah. Was. Youth group, church camp. Yeah. <laughs> All that. I like was in this partnership for youth. I hung out with the cool kids, but I did not drink in high school. Yeah. Because I was part of all this. I was a part of the Episcopal Diocese on Youth Commission. Youth, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, but we did a lot of retreats and I didn't, I thought it was hypocritical to drink underage. Right. But I hung, all my friends drank and they were like, why don't you drink? And I would hang out with them and I would smoke cigarettes, but I wouldn't drink. I didn't start drinking until I was 17. Mm-hmm. When I, and I also wanted to get into a really good college. So I was obsessed with extracurricular activities and filling my resume and making good grades and all that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like once I got in, I sort of decided I could relax. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started drinking. Um, and then the Christian thing, I just, you know, I wasn't as into in college. And that kind of faded out. So I consider myself now more spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Christian. We, like that. we like the S word over the R word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And do you, um, what do you say to people who are like, yeah, I would love to get sober. I would love to do me, whatever, but I'm not into God. I would say that don't even use the word God. Think of it as um, your greatest good. Mm. Uh, the The flow of your life that's out of your control. So we all know. In our life, there's so many things we can't control. We might try to control all of it, but we can't. So I like to think of God sometimes as the things that are working for me, whatever thing you want, the universe, my life force that I can't see or control. So, you know, I think that word God and however you associate it with traditional religion, maybe remove that from it and think of it as the forces beyond your control. Mm -hmm. And, you know... (sighs) I don't know. It's there's so much more to if you're talking about twelve step in particular than just like oh pray it away, ask God. I mean, there's so many more, so much more to it. So I guess I think mm-hmm. about that component of it, but I think it's there's so much more mm-hmm. that if you don't even want to think about the God thing at first, think about the just talking to somebody else that's been through what you've been through. Yeah, and the idea of being of service, and so you're out of your head, not thinking about yourself, and you're staying busy. I mean, if if so, if the God thing's holding you back, think about the other parts of yeah. Not that that's the only way to get sober or, or quit drinking, of and you know. All of that, but yeah, on days when I think, yeah, life force. And um, how would you say that you? We'll work towards wrapping up. I promise. Oh, that's how, okay. How would you say your life has improved since you've been sober? You look better. We know you wrote about that. Yeah. And that really affected some guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do look better. Yeah. I do feel like my body was never meant to handle alcohol, and this is before I ever even started to think. I because um. I just felt like the minute I started drinking, I started struggling more with weight and skin and um, discomfort, bloating, all that stuff. So just on a sheer like physiological level, I don't think my body tolerates alcohol Mm -hmm. well. And I don't think it ever did. So my day-to-day just being comfortable in my own skin has improved a thousand percent. Even on days when I feel, quote, fat or I've gained some weight or I've been, you know, eating my way through Alabama like I was the past two Mm -hmm. weeks. It's still never been the, the bloat that I dealt with when I was drinking. So there's that. That's That sounds really shallow, but that makes a huge difference in just your day-to-day comfort. Um, I don't know. I'm just... Life is just much more manageable. Um, I don't... I'm not taken out by being hungover every other week or, you know, because I was never a daily drinker. I was more of a binge drinker, but, you know, that was occurring more and more frequently at various periods of my life. So I feel like I'm not sick as often. 
I feel like I was voluntarily making myself sick on a regular basis. So just because I'm not sick all the time, I'm more productive. Right. Uh, I sleep way better. I feel like I'm much more equipped to be in a relationship because I, um, I love myself more because I can go to bed every night remembering everything I said that day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I still regret what I said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, but uh, I don't wake up and go, how did I get home? What did I say? I don't have to deal with any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I always say, like the committee in my brain that used to be dedicated to nursing a hangover or thinking about drinking or obsessing about, am I drinking too much or do I need to quit drinking? They've all been laid off. And so that <laughs> department opened up for other things. I love that. And so it's just like, you know, all of that. So it's like life is different and it's not always, there's definitely moments where I, you know, it's so hard and I wish I wasn't. But for the most part, I'd say the way I look at it is it, it's 23 hours of serenity and the occasional like one hour of discomfort if you're somewhere that you would normally be right having a cocktail or a drink. Right. So it's it's sort of experiencing everything at a more steady level as opposed to the extreme ups and downs. Yeah. God, very well said. Thank and, you. And, and quite positive. Okay, good. I like it. I like it. So so Mary Patterson Broom, she's got uh you can find out more about um MP on her website which is upper middle upper middle class angst.com or marypattersonbroom.com. And I'm doing stand up. I'm doing two com- I'm doing a comedy festival in North Carolina in August. Okay. In which Asheville. this will this will air before this will post before that. So it will. Good. And yeah, a comedy yeah. festival in Flagstaff, Arizona. Nice. In September. So if you if you live there or you want to travel there and you want yeah, those you dates, have people all over the country all listening, over, right? I'm sorry. I want to get some new fans out of this. International. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't very funny, but you know, I promise on stage I'll be funnier. You can't help but be funny. So <laughs> But, and then you're on all the social media oh, yeah. at Mary Patterson B on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't really like Facebook, but you can add me on Facebook if you want. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can find her there. You can find out more about this podcast by going to recovergirlpod.com. And if you are interested in my coaching program, I have to say, when you post this, I'm getting ready. I'm doing a new group in the fall. You do have to apply for this program, but if you go to AnnaDavidCoaching.com, you can get all the information about that. Maybe you too want to discover that you should be writing about your darkest Yep. moments and you're um, going to be inspiring somebody yeah, else even though they may not sober. tell you they will tell you two out of two thousand will tell <laughs> you, you will help them you will know <laughs> okay so we will see you next time thank you thank MP. you